Hello and welcome to episode number 46 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan Francesco. I'm the Deputy Editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Malikian, the U.S. Editor of Waters Technology. As always, except for the weeks I'm not here, like last week, but yeah. You know what? I tried to be nice. You're lazy. You're right. You haven't been on every episode. You're riding on my coattails. I'm bringing us to glory, and yeah. you're just trying to, you know, chip in. But yeah. I will say this, speaking of that. Anthony did pull his weight this week, bringing us three great guests. We have three of the four founding members of the Julia Programming Language. Julia is programming language that Anthony did a very deep dive, a fantastic feature that's burning up the internet waves um, about its use. Everybody's reading it. About, yeah, everybody's reading it. <laughs> about its growth and its uses in, you know, overall and just specifically to financial services. It's a fantastic read. We have a link in the in the story. You should definitely give it a look. But we had three of the four founding members, three very, very, very smart guys, way smarter than Anthony oh, and I. Yeah, the, I mean... The brain power in the room was highest it's ever been on the water. But that's always podcast. the great thing about doing a podcast too, right? Is that I can just sit here... I can ask a kind of intelligent question, but then allow the smart guys to really take it and run with it. Yep, so you just kind of sit back. Hmm, yeah, hmm, yeah, shallow yeah. and pedantic. Yeah, shallow yes. and pedantic. Hmm, yes. hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, they did a gr- good job. Uh, you should stay and listen for that because they really kind of get into some very specifics about how um, the Julia program language being used in finance, and then specifically about. Um, how it compares and some of the concerns that I've heard about, you know, some people that maybe haven't decided to use the Julia programming language yet, they address uh, some of those concerns as well. Um, so if you are kind of looking at the language, it's definitely worth listening to these guys uh, chat about it. Whether you have a strong knowledge of Julia or a elementary or non-knowledge of Julia, it's worthwhile to listen because I think it, all the bases are covered and, and Anthony, Anthony does a good job of speaking to all three and they do a good job of explaining themselves in the language. However, before we get to that great interview, Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about a special event we have coming up on Monday. So on Monday, uh, we have our biggest event of the year, Waters USA. Um, it's going to be uh, Monday, December 5th at the Marriott Marquis in Midtown, New York. Um, several hundred um, of the most senior uh, executives, uh, several hundred um, people in finance will be there. Um, on the panels, uh, we have some of the biggest you know, CIOs, CTOs, uh, that work here in New York. Um, our two keynote addresses, uh, we have uh, Kevin Mann, uh, Chief Investment Officer of Henderson and Walsh Asset Management. And then we also have Lori Beer. She's the Chief Information Officer of J.P. Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank. Um, so they're going to be given two separate uh, keynote addresses. And interspersed between that, you have just a bunch of panel discussions about everything from you know blockchain, machine learning, you know, everything that you kind of come to expect, you know, big data analytics, you know, stuff like that. But They'll really kind of get into specific, these uh, senior level executives will get into specifics about how they're um, deploying these kind of different kind of technologies at their uh, firms. Um, it's our biggest event of the year, um, and it's by far and away we have the most C-level C people that attend this event. If you are an end user, if you work at a bank, an asset manager, a hedge fund, whatever, um, you can join for free. Come uh, free. You can still register now. Uh, we'll put a link up for that. Um, you can also register, I believe, the day of if you're an end user. Yeah, you can show, show up. up. Yeah, sure. Let's just say, say yes. Say Waters Wavelength yeah. Podcast sent yeah. you. Say Dan and Tony sent you, 
and uh, maybe you'll be able to get in. Only on that. if you're an end user. If you're <laughs> a vendor, yeah. you got to pay your yeah. own way. Sorry, yeah. guys. And yeah, I'm sure there's still sponsorship opportunities available, but uh, I know nothing about that. So. Yeah, so it's definitely worthwhile checking out. And as we've said before with our other events, if you end up going and you're a listener to the podcast and you see Anthony or I, Anthony is the guy with the big beard, I'm the big tall Italian guy, come up to us, say something to us, say, hey, I hate the podcast, hey, I love the podcast, I'd like to see this change, I'd like to see this stay the same. Your feedback helps mold this. We're almost a year in, so we want to keep evolving and keep changing. Uh, That's it for now. On the back end, Anthony and I are going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, but right now, three of the four founding members of the Julia Programming Language. Okay, and we are back now, and I'm pleased uh, that our guests today uh, are three of the of the co-founders of the Julia Programming Language. We have Varal Shah, uh, Jeff Bazanson, and Stefan Karpinski. Um, they're joining us today. Uh, yesterday, uh, down here in the financial district, they had an event uh, that was aimed at showing how the Julia Programming Language uh, can benefit uh, people that work in finance. Um, so quant training shops, stuff like that. Um, they had a, a very good turnout. I was able to attend for a little bit of the day. Um, but I guess before we start, let's just go around the table here. Give a quick little introduction of yourself. Overall, uh, why don't you lead off and uh, just kind of give us a little bit of your background. Uh, thanks for having me here, um, Anthony. And uh you know, I'm Virol Shah. I am one of the co-founders of the Julia Language and also the CEO of Julia Computing. Um, we've been doing this for over six years now, and it's very exciting to get, you know, to get to the stage that we have from writing the first line of code that Jeff put together to having uh, almost 100 people attend uh, Julia Day, you know, the Julia Finance Day in New York. Mm-hmm. Very good. And uh, Stefan? Yeah, I'm uh, Stefan Karpinski, uh, also co-creator of Julia, co-founder of Julia Computing. Um, yeah, Viral and I went to grad school together, and uh, we were, you know, Jeff Jeff and Viral worked together at a company before, and we were simultaneously having the same conversation with Viral about how we felt that the the tooling for data science and technical computing could be much better. Um, and that complaining actually went somewhere. We decided to actually try to try to do something better. Um, and I think I think initially we we said we'll try this for three months and we'll see if we're if we still think it's headed in the right direction. And I think three months came and went. And we never we never even thought or mentioned turning back. We were having too much fun. Um, and here we are, you know, seven years later, and we have a, a real viable thing that lots of people are using around the world. Very cool. And Jeff. Uh, hi, I'm Jeff Bazanson, and I think uh, those other guys uh, pretty much covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other co-founder of Julia is um, Alan Edelman, correct? Yes. Yep. And um, of the Julia Computing crowd, uh, who else? I'm sorry, I don't have it off the top of my head. Uh, the other co-founders were? Uh, Ken O'Fisher, who's also uh, one of the main contributors to the language, mm-hmm. uh, and also Deepak Vinci on the business side. Yes. And Deepak was there yesterday. Was Ken there as well yeah. at the event? Very good. Um, I guess maybe to start off with, um, I would love for people to read the article that I wrote. You know, you should all read it. You know, get me those clicks, people. But um, for, I guess, people that weren't able to read it or just don't like reading in general, why don't you uh, just kind of give me, Jeff, you know, maybe you can kind of take this. Um, What are, I guess, as a description of Julia, what are some of its main benefits and how does it kind of, why are people looking at it as an alternative to things like, Python, R, and MATLAB? Well, the main benefit of Julia for most people is that it is a great combination of ease of use and performance. 
Uh, it is very easy to write and easy to read, uh, but it also runs really fast, often approaching uh, the speed of C. Uh, but it's very productive. Speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, so I guess that that's, you know, is one of the main things, right, is just that the, the, the ease of use, the interface for from what I've heard is, it's if you can pick up something like Python, you'll easily be able to pick up, you know, Julia, and then it's just the the speed of of which it's able to go through the computations is, uh, you know, the the Fed, the New York uh, Fed has obviously put out uh, some very hard metrics, and you guys have as well. But you know, just to see like a third party come out and say this is how we're using it, and it's you know x times faster. Again, you can read the article to see um, some specifics on that. But I guess that that's kind of the main drawing card for this. Yes. Well, so the the founding team here, we have kind of uh, disparate backgrounds in some ways. Uh, and so what we did uh, while designing it was we worked very hard to walk a fine line in the design that would keep everybody happy so that it wasn't, you know, wasn't too much focused on programmers and computer scientists, nor too much focused on uh, the mathematical perspective. Uh, and so that, uh, you know, it's designed to kind of keep everybody happy. Uh, and that can really have organizational effects where it can get people working together, uh, which is what we wanted to see. Okay, very good. Obviously, the story I wrote, you know, I'm not a programmer, so I wrote it more at a high level, didn't get too deep into the weeds. As you had an event yesterday, like, like you had yesterday with a bunch of, you know, guys that work in finance, uh, men and women that work in finance, and are either actively using the language or are kind of just toying around with it, looking at it right now, what were some of the main questions that came up during that event, you know, after you guys had either during the presentations or even after the drinks, what were some of the common themes that were kind of coming up um, as you went about this? So we had a great turnout yesterday. We had people attending from uh, over 50 different financial firms and some of the most recognizable names out here in New York. We, you know, I think Professor Alan Edelman, uh, one of our co-founders, made an interesting remark when we started out that a few years ago people used to ask, you know, what's this Julia thing? And now, you know, he teaches Julia at MIT and everyone's like flocking to his class to learn Julia. And uh, he mentioned a third transition that has recently happened is that as you go around uh, businesses and industry, you find people everywhere using Julia. Like, you know, you walk around offices and people are using Julia. So... A lot of the folks out there were already huge users of Julia or people who were peripherally using Julia but wanted to bring it in their organizations. And they were thrilled to learn that there is this company, you know, we have 20 people, Julia Computing now. So they were thrilled to know that there is this amazing, uh, you know, team that is out there to support Julia. We are actually um, some of the largest contributors to the open source Julia um, uh, language community development. And uh, a lot of the discussions were actually focused on how can I take Julia, which makes me productive on my desktop and in my day-to-day -day programming, and how do I go from there into putting it into production, into mission-critical applications? Mm -hmm. And we had some of our customers speak about mission-critical applications. We had um, Conning speak about their applications to insurance. Uh, we had Bestex talk about um, you know, regulatory compliance, MyFit2 compliance um, of, of the best execution pricing. Mm -hmm. And there were many others in the audience uh, who had done similar things. Uh, it was just fantastic to sort of see this leap towards, you know, commercialization. Like people want to run it every day. They don't want to rewrite their stuff in a different language. And that was, I, th I think that was the crux of the discussions yesterday, Stefan. Do you want to? 
Yeah, I, th- I think one of the big questions that people have is, is this relatively new language ready? Um, and I think that the the answer that they that people seem to be taking away from this talk by seeing all of these big companies actually using it in production successfully um and i, I think from some of the you know david weiss his conclusion was no regrets like yeah. big big text yep. across his last slide <laughs> no regrets like we took a risk on this some time ago but like it's panned out yeah um and i think at this point it's it's the there's no there's not really any doubt left that this is this is going places um the 1.0 release of Julia is scheduled for next year for, you know, summer, summer 2017. Um, so this is actually a really good time to, to get on board to, to sort of say, Oh yeah, we should, we should, this, this thing can give us hu- a huge, a huge benefit in terms of com- combining productivity with performance. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you start investing in it now, by the time the 1.0 release comes out, it'll be just the right timing, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember David Weitz during uh, his presentation was saying that, you know, not only no regrets, but also that they're actively looking to add training to his staff. Like, they're, So they're going to have like a class, you know, down the road just to make them more proficient. They're, they're already using it, but to really kind of make them get to that expert level. So I guess that's got to be an exciting thing to see that community growing, which is going to be a very important part of the growth of this, correct? Yeah, yeah, we're actually we have to work on that desi- designing that training session later <laughs> later today. Jeff, Jeff and I are going to head up to Hartford and yeah. do right that. Right now, you guys are all like, "God, wasting my time here today with this thing." That. <laughs> no, 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 this is, this is great. Um, you talk about Julia 1.0, which coming out next year. It'll be released at JuliaCon. Um, mm-hmm. A date will be set some point here in the future. Um, what can users definitely expect to see with 1.0? And is there anything that maybe they should be looking at? You know, I guess what will definitely be part of that 1.0 release? And what are some of the other things that you hope to maybe have as part of that release? Uh, you know, I think we, we've, you know, so the, the ba- some of the major language changes that we've been working on have already happened. Uh, one of the big changes in the, in the 0.5 release, which came out a few months back, uh, was to make functional programming construct really... They've always been there. We've always had closures. We've always had things like map and filter and the kinds of things that you know people have come to find very, very you know expressive and productive from functional programming. Uh, but they came at a performance cost, uh, and Jeff did a huge amount of amazing work to make higher order functions that kind of functional programming. Just it's it now it literally has zero cost. The code that is generated is the exact same performance and often the exact same code that you would have gotten if you had just like manually written the the highest performance possible version. And that really changes the way you design your code bases and your libraries. And it lets you, it lets you express generically complicated algorithms and then plug in little bits of user code without having that be something that makes everything slow. And that, that really it's transformative. Um, Jeff, you want to talk about some other things? Uh, well, I mean, in, in 1.0 I, is really going to be about uh, stability and reliability. Uh, stability of the system itself and uh, stability of the APIs, so you can rely on having a solid foundation that's not going to be uh, a moving target. Uh, and also we're, we're going very carefully over the design and internals of the system to make sure everything is, is really solid. And if we need to make any major changes there to, uh, to make it really reliable, that's, this is the time that we'll do it. Okay. 
obviously, you know, as I was going about my reporting and talking to just some of my contacts and going through it, for the ones that weren't on board yet, it, they didn't have any knocks, didn't have anything bad to say. They said, you know, right now the community's too small. The libraries, you know, aren't expansive enough. How do you, I guess, quell those concerns? How, what would you say to those people that are still sitting on the sidelines saying it's not mature enough yet for us from a community standpoint? Uh, well, for some people, that might be true. Um, uh, for others, uh, if, if you check back frequently, you might be surprised at how much stuff is actually there. The package ecosystem is growing pretty quickly, and there are now, I think, uh, 1,200 packages available, and it's, it's growing at a steady pace. Uh, so there, there might be more there than you realize. Uh, and also people uh, find the language itself uh, often so productive that they can uh, write themselves or recreate things uh, faster than they would have thought possible. So there's, there's a classic trade-off when you're building systems where you're like, ah, do, I, do I use a third-party thing or do I build it myself? Um, and, and part of that trade-off calculus is how easy is it to actually build something yourself? Usually it's easier to work with the thing you built yourself because you understand it, mm -hmm. but it also takes time and then it takes maintenance. One of the things I think we've changed where the needle is uh, is how easy it is to do that. So we realized very early that you're never going to catch up with these existing mature systems unless you leverage making it much, much easier to actually build libraries. And so... I would say that we've made it, you know, 10 times easier to build generic high performance, uh, you know, numerical computing libraries. And so, you know, something that would have taken 10 years to develop previously now can be done in one year. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that really changes the calculus and it makes it easier, you know, to, to get exactly the functionality you need. Um, I also think that, you know, 1,200, that, that number isn't really apples to apples with other languages like python tends to have very granular small libraries mm -hmm. r for example has these like sort of big sprawling libraries that done a, do a ton of stuff and matlab is sort of in the same you know their toolboxes are pretty big they have tons of stuff and i think julia is more on the like r matlab side where a package does a fair amount of stuff okay um, i'd like to just um, sorry i'd like to just add to that and say there are people who think uh, Julia is not ready for because of the community reasons and there's not enough packages. And as Jeff said, there you know there's probably much more out there than you know. But this is exactly why we set up uh, Julia Computing as a you know to to work as a bridge between the amazing Julia community and the commercial uh, community out there, okay. because the commercial community needs you know they need certainty, they need support, they need things to work, they need a you know. Call, you know, they need a number to call when something breaks uh, and, and stuff like that. Training, hand-holding, all that good stuff. And that's why, you know, it's like last year we incorporated as Julia Computing. All of us came together and we said, you know, this is, we, we actually set up the company when the first paying customer wrote a check. And we were like, this is real business. We need to get into this. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how we bridge that gap. So none of our customers have any regrets, uh, like uh, like Stefan mentioned. And uh, if if you have any issues, uh, you know, we are, we are right there to, to fix them. Okay. One of the other concerns I heard along the way was that, and this might be a bad question, this might not be the, the case, but for those that are sitting back and saying, you know, Yes, it is fast. It's very impressive what it's doing. Um, but there's also that, you know, one of these other languages, a Python or whatever, 
could uh, just enhance itself, could make itself faster, could improve its performance numbers and really focus in on something like that. Is that a legitimate concern? Is that something that you worry about? Or do you think that that is not really feasible with what you guys are producing? So it's... It's an interesting question, and it's. Uh, I, I think the the first obvious question is, if that were possible, why hasn't it already happened? Um, there's certainly an awful lot of money behind, like really really fast Python, right? Yeah. Um, or really really fast R, and I certainly I've, I know of dozens of projects in each language where people have tried. Um, interestingly, JavaScript is one traditionally you know classically slow language that suddenly got fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think, you know, there's technical reasons. Um, largely, it has to do with the fact that JavaScript sort of lived in this isolated world of the browser. And as long as the language continued to behave the same, they could do any dirty trick they wanted to make it fast. And that actually was very effective. And Google mm-hmm. spearheaded that. But now, you know, everybody's got their own really fast JavaScript engine. Um, and that's much harder for languages like Python and R, particularly because they interact with C libraries and Fortran libraries and all of this other, you know, all of these systems. And the things you would have to do to make it much faster are often the exact same things that would break that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people aren't willing to do that. Okay. Um, so in some sense, starting with a clean slate is easier mm-hmm. uh, and lets you have that speed and that e- uh, productivity at the same time. I guess that also the New York Fed, like even in the research paper that they released, they kind of mentioned something about that, that, yes, this is very fast. It is also very beneficial that we were starting from the ground up on this uh, project to, to rewrite it rather than, you know, so they, they mentioned there were many um, uh, bugs or whatever along the way that kind of made the previous program that they were using a little bit slower. So I guess that is something that kind of plays into it, that when you're starting from the ground up, producing something new that you can kind of with it with a clear idea of the performance you want you're able to kind of push forward on that yeah yeah that's that is true um i i think also people often overestimate the difficulty and pain of rewriting things um it you know sometimes i'll just rewrite a thing because you know it's turned into a mess like yeah. i i you know i managed to make a you know spaghetti meatball dish and in with my code and i'm like ah all right all right the best way is to open a new file and start writing and then copy things over um and uh i mean the key thing there if you're going to rewrite a system if you're going to port a system um is to have good tests so if you've got which you should have anyway you should have a great test suite um and as long as you can keep your tests passing then you should be all good okay one of the i guess one of the main drivers as to why uh, in finance and in economics, why there's such a desire and interest in Julia right now is because of there's a sea of data that's being created that firms are trying to filter through the noise to be able to run computations fast because they have to for risk purposes to be able to you know uh, jump on a potential trading opportunity, whatever have you. As this is only going to kind of increase, you know, the internet of things is going to create, you know, exponentially more data out there. It's going to create more noise that's out there. How, I guess, just from a trend perspective, do you see in the world of finance, this kind of, this, this play of there's more and more data being created. Here's how Julia will be able to help you to weed through that noise and to truly find value. 
Well, I mean, the the obvious answer is that uh, you know if your if your code runs faster, you get through your data faster. Um, but but I think there's two there's two notions of speed. Uh, there's speed of the program and speed of the programmer. I think they're both becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why the time is really ripe for this sort of marriage because previously you could kind of live with one or the other. Um, and we're seeing more and more customers and just people who are live in a world where they cannot sacrifice either one. They can't spend six months taking a prototype and rewriting it in C++ to make it perform well. They need to take their prototype and turn it into a deployed version in a week, mm-hmm. um, and and that's 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 really where we shine, and I think that's that's where we're going. Uh, and also, as a project, parallel computing is kind of in our DNA because uh, before this, Viral and I uh, worked for a parallel computing company, uh, and we've worked in and with uh, HPC labs at MIT, for instance. So we've we've always been pretty focused on scale and parallelism. So. I, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work on parallelism. In fact, um, I don't know if you were, you were there when we started, but one of my opening slides was that we just did this amazingly, massively parallel program uh, running on 8,000 cores, 8,000 CPUs with Lawrence Berkeley Labs to map out the entire digital sky survey. And that's just one of the things uh, that we've done. We're going to scale it up 100x more. But you know one it's one thing to have you know the have it be easy to program and julia as a programming language has that amazing foundation but many of our customers including most of them in finance are saying you know i love your speed but make me even more productive mm-hmm. so we heard them and we came out with uh, two new uh, products uh, that we demoed yesterday one of them was this domain specific language for modeling financial contracts so you know, our head of engineering uh, showed um a complex financial contract that could be nested, you know, 12 levels deep composed of simple concepts, right? Like I have a future on an equity or I have, you know, this swap or I have this Asian option. And I just write a few lines of code explaining this complex financial structure. And then Julia produces what is essentially a few assembly instructions from a very complex definition because it's able to reason about code and stuff. So, for for quants, we have this amazingly easy-to-use package as part of our Julia Finn offering that gives you all the benefits of Julia, all the speed, all the parallelism, but with even more layers of abstraction that are easy to use. And the second thing that Jeff demoed, actually, um, which was very relevant for the Internet of Things or the big data world, is a time series database. If you look at all these sensors, the Internet of Things, or all financial data, they're actually you know, timestamp, and you know bid and ask or timestamp and temperature or timestamp and pressure or heat or whatever it is and there's just this explosion of data coming out that fills up tables of all these things and people have spoken about like oh i want to put it into hadoop or i want to put it into spark or you know there's so many there's an alphabet soup of technologies out there when we take some of these problems we just load them up in julia you know uh, throw a few parallel processors at it and write a couple of lines of code and we're able to achieve orders of magnitude of efficiency that uh, we haven't seen before. The one thing I will say that, you know, I, I didn't get too much of it into uh, when I wrote the story, but one thing that did come up a lot in the reporting came up at the event yesterday um, is that the, obviously on Wall Street, there's always this kind of this push-pull as a, 
far as attracting top-level programming talent, um, not just attracting programmers, but really top-tier uh, talent, and that that's one thing that this is interesting to them. And I guess that one of the interesting things about Julie Programming Language, obviously at MIT, you know, there's a big course there. Um, Berkeley, um, and then you were saying yesterday Stanford is actually got a, a big, I guess, uh, involvement in the, the Julia language. So some of the elite schools that are really producing top-tier talent are also kind of getting behind and now teaching this language. And I guess that that's going to be a, a drawing card as Wall Street firms, like even if a CIO, CTO that is looking for top-tier talent, even if they're not as familiar with the Ju Julia programming language, that's going to be a key component for them is this kind of idea of being able to go into these schools and say, we're working on these kind of projects using the Julia language. We know you've been using them. You might want to come and work for us. I guess that is that something that you're going to be looking to push that idea going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things um, that we uh, run is this uh, offering called Julia in the cloud is Julia Box. So you can, if you just went to juliabox.com, you can log in and start using Julia right away for free in two seconds. And uh, we have we have logins from 350 universities out there across the world. So people are learning Julia across the world in all the universities, definitely all the top tier universities. Um, and, you know, David Weiss made a very interesting point yesterday that Julia is actually a differentiator. It lets them attract the right kind of good talent that they want. And uh, we've heard this actually from, uh, you know, a couple of our other customers as well that the draw of open source Julia, something that's cutting edge, makes it very interesting for, you know, interns, uh, students, uh, you know, people, uh, new hires um, coming on the market. So I, I think that it works on both sides. The universities love it. It's open source. They want to teach a skill that stays with the students for life as opposed to teach a product of a particular company. But then when they graduate and they join, you know, a firm, a financial firm, maybe like one of the many in New York, you know, the firms find comfort in the fact that they're getting the best talent from the best universities and that there's, you know, Julia computing out there with products that will support the commercial use cases. Yeah, I thought that was a particularly interesting point because I know from, from talking to him when he was making the decision to jump on board with, the, with using Julia that David was unsure how it was going to affect recruiting. He didn't know. And... Uh, and in the, and the way that has played out is that it's actually beneficial. It's not. He was worried, of course, that you know, I'm not. Am I going to be able to f hire programmers? Um, and one of the things he said was that anybody who has background in C, Python, and or MATLAB just picks it up really easily. Um, which is that that's good to hear. I mean, I think it's easy to use, but you know that yeah. that doesn't mean as much as it's coming from someone like him and people he's talked to. Um, and then the fact that it actually filters particularly for the higher quality people is is also really good to hear okay. um, obviously you know, our listeners are going to be in the world of capital markets trading stuff like that and obviously for trading for uh, economists stuff like that it's it's been you know it's it's being well received um it's adoption we'll see you know how it goes obviously it's still early stages obviously you guys are going to be hoping that it's got great adoption i'm sure you guys would say that it's good for any industry out there but in addition to finance and economics, you know, for maybe some of our listeners that just were interested to hear about what other kind of sector are you seeing the most interest in? I, I know that astronomy was kind of one area that, that you guys are, are helping out in. Um, where, I guess, you know, e economics, finance, 
where else, I guess, uh, maybe is it most appropriate right now? You're getting the most interest. Uh, there's a lot of traction in uh, uh, people are using it in bioinformatics. Uh, optimization, so sort of constrained optimization, the kinds of things that people do for logistics and uh, uh, operations research. Uh, it's huge. It's actually rapidly becoming the de facto standard because of this amazing package called Jump, which mm-hmm. is Julia for mathematical programming. Yeah, um, which which actually is it's an interesting system. It really lets you swap out different backends, uh, different backend solvers. Some of them commercial, some of them open source, but keep your code the same, um, which has previously been a huge problem. Uh, and and they really they nailed that problem. And so now people just you know, they teach OR classes, and it just goes without saying that it's taught in Julia. Um, I, I'm hoping we have a lot of work in machine learning already, um, but I think people are getting frustrated with the, the proliferation of machine learning libraries like TensorFlow and MXNet, and I forget what what the which one face. Does Facebook use Torch? Torch? Torch, yeah, yeah. So there's sort of, you know, all of the big tech giants have their own machine learning library, yeah. and everybody's kind of like, can we just have one good one? <laughs> um, so I think there might be a place. Julia is particularly good for writing these DSLs on top of other systems that give you a unified interface but don't sacrifice performance. Okay. And that's what Jump is. And I'm hoping that we can come up with something like that for machine learning so you can just switch between these different you know, tech giant backends and be like, oh, well, this one has better GPU support and we've got a bunch of GPUs and we don't have to change any code. Actually, Microsoft, um, one of the Microsoft engineers yesterday was telling me that they just announced benchmarks with their deep learning library that now put them ahead of all the others. And I was going, oh my God, if I was just using one of the other ones, like, what do I do? But then the immediate answer was exactly like, if I had this thing uh, for deep learning, like, we have an optimization where you know you could just with the press of a button swap out a backend and you know if instead of you know MXNet which uh, by the way we use and uh, Werner Vogels just announced um, as as the library that Amazon's going to support mm-hmm. so so we have great bindings in Julia for that one we have great bindings for TensorFlow we've got Julia deep learning libraries and uh, we were actually working on there's a research project at um, the MIT lab that Professor Alan Edelman runs which is putting a layer on top of these, which will make it incredibly easy to use. But to answer your original question, so robotics and AI at a higher level uh, are some of the areas where researchers are now beginning to increasingly use Julia. And it's it's just going everywhere. I mean, everywhere we travel and give talks, we find some amazing applications um, that keep coming, uh, coming out on a day-to-day basis. Our website catalogs like at least 15 other case studies about where Julia is being used. And and we we had um we had a couple of nature uh, nature papers and science papers that that spoke about Julia recently. I think one of the important roles that we try to play is to keep these different groups of people who are all doing similar types of computing talking to each other. Um, and in the past, these sorts of things have been very siloed. And like, you know, statisticians use this one programming language, and the you know, the astronomers use this other programming language and the social scientists use this other programming language. They're not even just using different libraries. They're using different languages entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're hoping to get them to speak the same language both at the programming level but also 
you know, agree on common terminology, agree on common libraries that they can all share and all improve and just get something that works well enough for everybody. Well, I appreciate you guys coming in today. Um, you know, the reason why, you know, we, we invited Jen was when I, even before I reached out to you guys to talk for the article, I had already spoken with five or six different people of my contacts, you know, at banks and at hedge funds that were just talking about it. Even if the ones that weren't able to talk on the record about it were saying, no, it's something that's very interesting. Um, so obviously this was a little bit of a, you know, kind of getting to know you kind of thing, which we don't normally don't do for these, but... I think it is something that it is interesting. It's something that clearly is resonating with with my contacts on Wall Street. So um, whether or not you guys succeed, I, I wish you all the be best of luck in the world. And uh, we'll, we'll obviously see how things go uh, once uh, Julia 1.0 comes out. But uh, thanks so much uh, for taking the time out today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Um, we'll be in touch. And we're back. And while the brain power in the room has significantly decreased, Anthony and I are here for your enjoyment to provide some of our uh, Thanksgiving stories, as we always do at the end of these podcasts. We typically talk a little some non-fintech topics. And with the holiday having just passed and Anthony and I having just traveled both to uh, exotic locations, well, at least for one of us, <laughs> exotic locations. Yeah. yeah, one went to Jamaica, one went to Garrettsville, Ohio. So it's a little bit of a... You can decide which one's the exotic location. Yeah. So, Anthony, we'll start with you. I know you took the, uh, the you're a big train guy. You took the train out Trains. there. How was the the trip out there, and kind of how was how was your time in Ohio? Listen, okay. So here's the thing about Thanksgiving. All right, this is a stupid holiday. I I I just I could don't not understand. Be, could not be more against you in that sentiment. Okay. It the first of all. Because we were looking at flights. I mean, my girlfriend, her family lives out in Ohio. Uh, some of her family, her mom's out in Ohio. So we're going to go out there, visit her family for Thanksgiving, you know, uh, Christmas, get to have here in New York. All right. So a home and home. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, look at flights just to get out to. So we fly into Cleveland um, to get out to Garrettsville. The, the flights were already insane. And, you know, if you're going to be, you're, you're, you're rolling a dice if you're going to book a plane flight you know, on uh, the week of Thanksgiving because also the delays, if there's even a slight little weather delay, everything just goes right. into chaos, yeah. okay? So it was actually cheaper for us to get nice business class seats on Amtrak, go out to Pittsburgh. We spent the night out in Pittsburgh um, and then went out into Ohio the next day. This is what I'm always saying. I, why schedule this you know, I if, if I had my way with my family and with her family and everything like that, I would say we're going to do the week after Thanksgiving. That's going to be our Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving is going to be December, you know, 2nd, 3rd, something like that. And we're going to do all the turkey and everything like that. And, you know, we're just going to relax at home and not to deal with the chaotic travel of Thanksgiving, the massive lines, the massive amount of people. So that's, first of all, do you have any a, semblance of dumb, structure. It's a dumb holiday. So sorry. Right, so let's. Why do we celebrate our birthdays on the day we were born? Why do we celebrate Christmas but on Christmas? But there isn't massive why travel. Why do we celebrate on your New Year's on New Year's? This is the structure of society, Anthony. I you take this out. This is the core of how we stand on the the, the uh, what our founding fathers have built this country on. You fathers. don't want to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day. It's kind of like That's madness. Valentine's Day. Stupid day. Go and celebrate the Valentine's Day on you know February eighth. 
It's the same thing. It's, it's the not same the same thing. thing. You can cook turkey, mashed potatoes, and all that. Anyway, so is football on all day on this this magical and exactly, holiday. That you instead, just I have to sit there with my you know with with my family every other year, her family every other year. You know, I don't even get to enjoy the games as much. Just, we, the whole point of Thanksgiving is that you get drunk and eat a lot of food, so then you don't necessarily have to be with your family. Check. And, then you, <laughs> and then you watch the football games. That's the whole point of it. All right. So, so, okay. So this is the other thing. My girlfriend from Philippines, Filipino girl, uh, been here American citizen now, but. Uh, so her family. <laughs> you want to make sure you want to make that uh, yeah, make that note. Yeah, yeah. Tom's don't, don't send her away, man. Okay, she's all good. She's all good. So, her family, uh, we go to her aunt's house, which is about an hour away from where our mom lives, and we sit down, and it was delicious food. Now, it careful was the weirdest. No, no, but it was the now, weirdest Tony. thing too. This is what happened. This is why it's great having you know interculture, you know get together stuff like that. There was, you know, your traditional turkey, your mashed potatoes, you know, your whatever else, you know, cr- cranberries and all that kind of stuff. But then they had these awesome Filipino dishes like uh, lumpia and uh, this pork fried thing that was awesome. That also begins, I think, with an L. So it was delicious. And I ate great. But all I'm saying is you could do that same exact meal with everybody together, you know, you can't. December this is not Thanksgiving. 3rd or That's not Thanksgiving. November 15th. That's a get-together with family members during the holiday season, which is fine, but that's not Thanksgiving. I would be very thankful, let me tell you, if I didn't have to deal with all the travel on Thanksgiving. You're being a big baby, all right? And you got out Tell us fine, about you got sunny uh, Jamaica. So I was out. My uh, girlfriend's uh, grandmother, shout out to Sandy, turned 80 years old. And her well family. Done, Sandy. Yeah, her family decided that they wanted to celebrate her birth out in Jamaica because why not? Who doesn't want to do that? And uh, my girlfriend's mother, shout out to Mulane. Was nice enough oh, to uh, to pay my way to fly out there oh, and stay out there. That's a Thanksgiving. That is a thing. I'm very thankful for uh, <laughs> for the Kimmel family. So uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to spend out there. There was 16 of us, so it was a big group, and it was an all inclusive. We were there. We flew in. You talk about travel. So we flew in. We left Thanksgiving Day, uh, very early morning Thanksgiving Day, but it was empty. My flight was empty. I had an emergency row to myself, which was incredible. Um, the airport was empty. It was no problem getting through security. Uh, knock on wood, there were no. De- well, I don't have to knock on wood anymore because it's over. <laughs> um, it's been a long week. Uh, I flew, landed, you know, fine, no delays. And then, yeah, we. I actually spent. You know, you talk about. It's funny because I would enjoy celebrating Thanksgiving this year, not on Thanksgiving, because I didn't get a true Thanksgiving meal. You know, sh- contrary to popular belief, turkey is not a big. Uh, food item out in Jamaica. <laughs> so the first night we ended up eating at a at a uh, a Jamaican Asian restaurant, which they do exist. There was it was hibachi, delicious, really good. But that was it. Was it an Asian restaurant in Jamaica, or was it a Jamaica Asian fusion no, so we, restaurant? No. So so the way it worked is there were there was an Italian restaurant, a Jamaican restaurant, a gourmet restaurant, a surf and turf, uh, an Asian restaurant, and then a buffet that were available so for dinner. Every some night. awesome like jerk chicken Asian no, it was, thing. No, it was your tip. Well, they had lobster. God, they had lobster and shrimp. But uh, but yeah, no, it wasn't 
it was like the the hibachi chef was Jamaican. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic because you're used to a certain type of chef when you're at a hibachi restaurant. Uh-huh. And this guy comes out and he goes, "Yeah, man, yeah, let's let's cook up some food," you know. Your accents so, as always are amazing. <laughs> so it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun though. The food was fantastic. The drinks were fantastic. If you're ever in Jamaica, um, I don't know if this is specific to this resort, but I had this thing called the Jamaican Smile, which was pink with rum in it, and it was delicious. Um, and he is having an aneurysm right now over that uh, that drink. So what? It sounds like a very manly drink there. Um, what oh, was well, the there's another drink yeah. called the BBC, which uh-huh. was very popular amongst uh, amongst everyone at in uh, in the in the, in the, in, the, in, the, in the place. That was delicious as well. That had Bailey's in it. It was Bailey's. Uh, something else, Bacardi. And Bacardi, and yeah, maybe and, and cognac, and cognac, maybe something like that. <laughs> that yeah, would get you drunk right. for sure. Yeah. Best thing you ate while you were there? Best thing I ate while I was there. Mm. Uh, they had, I had a lobster shrimp risotto in the Italian restaurant, which I know you're going to think, Dan, you're Italian. How can you think Italian food in Jamaica is good? It was fantastic. It was very, very good. And I ate a lot of raw fish. They had a lot of raw fish out for breakfast, um, you know, like sliced thin. And that was delicious as well. Yeah, I mean, jerk chicken and jerk. I mean, cause that would be the one thing. Like, if I'm going to yeah, go to uh, Jamaica, yeah, 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 okay, that's okay. going to be what I'm yeah, diving so into. So during lunch on the beach, they had chefs uh, cook up uh, basically like Jamaican jerk chicken and all that. And I did have some – there was some good uh, squid. I had some good octopus with Jamaican jerk sauce on it. So that was good. But, I mean, listen, like Jamaican jerk chicken is good, but it's just – it, I could go to a place around the corner down here in the city and have jerk chicken that's just as good as what I had. I don't know there. you're going to be welcome back in Jamaica, my friend. Yeah, maybe yeah, <laughs> they're uh, rip my uh, rip the passport uh, visa out or whatnot. But it was uh, it was good. It was an enjoyable time. But I, I did miss the turkey and the stuffing. But I will gladly miss it every year if I get to go to Jamaica every year. So I guess that's it. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add about your Jamaican trip? Just that, you know. I think that Thanksgiving should be November fifteenth for my if my family's listening. I'll tell you what, if you see us if you see us if you if you don't you're unsure, oh I wanna come up and talk to Anthony and Dan, but I don't know what to say, come up to us and just either say Anthony's idea about Thanksgiving is stupid or Anthony's idea about Thanksgiving is very smart. Let us know. Let us know. I'm like the creators of Julia. I'm creating this new idea right now that that is is going to catch on and it's going to spread like wildfire. There have been a lot of crazy things that have been said on this podcast, but you comparing yourself to the three gentlemen that were just here (laughs) is probably the most far-fetched thing I've ever heard. Uh, well, on that note, I think we'll leave it. If you're coming to Waters USA, please say what up. Please come say hello to us. We'd love to chat with you here. What's your thoughts on the podcast? Uh, Anthony, you have anything else to add? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. A little late for that, but thanks so much for listening and uh, tune back in next Thursday. And we're back. And while the brain power in the room has significantly decreased, Anthony and I are here for your enjoyment to provide some of our uh, Thanksgiving stories, as we always do at the end of these podcasts. We typically talk a little of some non-fintech topics, and with the holiday having just passed and Anthony and I having just traveled both to uh, exotic locations, well, at least for one of us, exotic locations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one went to Jamaica, one went to Garrettsville, Ohio, so it's a little bit of a, you can decide which one's the exotic location. Yeah, so Anthony, we'll start with you. I know you took the, uh, the you're a big train guy. You took the train out Trains. there. How was the the trip out there, and kind of how was how was your time in Ohio? Listen, okay. So here's the thing about Thanksgiving. All right, this is a stupid holiday. I I, I just I could don't not understand. Be, could not be more against you in that sentiment. Okay, it the first of all because we were looking at flights. I mean, my girlfriend, her family lives out in Ohio. Uh, some of her family, her mom's out in Ohio, so. 
we're gonna go out there visit her family for Thanksgiving. You know, uh, Christmas get to have here in New York. All right, so a home and home. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, look at flights just to get out to. So we fly into Cleveland um, to get out to Garrettsville. The pri- the flights were already insane, and you know, if you're gonna be you're you're, you're rolling a dice if you're gonna book a plane flight. You know, on uh, the week of Thanksgiving, because also the delays, if there's even a slight little weather delay, everything just goes into chaos. Okay, so it was actually cheaper for us to get nice business class seats on Amtrak, go out to Pittsburgh. We spent the night out in Pittsburgh um, and then went out into Ohio the next day. This is what I'm always saying. Why schedule this? You know, I if I had my way with my family and with her family, everything like that, I would say we're going to do the week after Thanksgiving. That's going to be our Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving is going to be December, you know, second, third, something like that. And we're going to do all the turkey and everything like that. And, you know, we're just going to relax at home and not to deal with the chaotic travel of Thanksgiving, the massive lines, the massive amount of people. So that's first of all, do you have any a, semblance of dumb, structure? It's a dumb holiday. So, so all right. So let's. Why we celebrate our birthdays on the day we were born? Why do we celebrate Christmas? But on there Christmas? isn't massive why travel. Why do we celebrate New Year's on New Year's? This is the structure of society, Anthony. I you take this out. This is the core of how we stand on the the, the uh, what our founding fathers have built this country on. You fathers. don't want to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day. It's kind of like That's madness. Valentine's Day, stupid day. Go and celebrate the Valentine's Day on you know February eighth. It's the same thing. It's, it's the not same the same thing. thing. You can cook turkey, mashed potatoes, and all that. Anyway, so it's football on all day on this this magical and exactly, holiday. That instead, you just I created. have to sit there with my you know with with my family every other year, her family every other year. You know, I don't even get to enjoy the games as much. You just, you, the whole point of Thanksgiving is that you get drunk and eat a lot of food, so then you don't necessarily have to check be with your family. In, check. And then <laughs> and then you watch the football games. That's the whole point of it. All right, so. Okay, so this is the other thing. My girlfriend from Philippines, Filipino girl. Uh, been here American citizen now, but uh, so her family. <laughs> you want to make sure you want to make that, uh, yeah, make just, that note? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't send her away, man, okay? She's all good. She's all good. So her family, uh, we go to her aunt's house, which is about an hour away from where our mom lives, and we sit down, and it was delicious food. No. Be it was the weirdest. No, no, but it was the now, weirdest Tony. thing too. This is what happened. This is why it's great having you know interculture, you know get together stuff like that. There was you know your traditional turkey, your mashed potatoes, you know your whatever else, you know cr- cranberries and all that kind of stuff. But then they had these awesome Filipino dishes like uh, lumpia and uh, this pork fried thing that was awesome. That also begins, I think, with an L. So it was delicious, and I ate great. But all I'm saying is, you could do that same exact meal with everybody together. You know, you can't. December this is not Thanksgiving. 3rd or That's not Thanksgiving. November fifteenth. That's a get together with family members during the holiday season, which is fine. But that's not Thanksgiving. I would be very thankful, let me tell you, if I didn't have to deal with all the travel on Thanksgiving. You're being a big baby, all right? And you got out Tell there us fine. about you got sunny uh, Jamaica. So I was out. My uh, girlfriend's uh, grandmother, shout out to Sandy, turned 80 years old. And her well family. Well done, Sandy. Yeah, her family decided that they wanted to celebrate her birth out in Jamaica because why not? Who doesn't want to do that? And uh, 
my girlfriend's mother, shout out to Moline, was nice enough Hello, to uh, to pay my way to fly out there oh, and stay out there. That's a Thanksgiving. That is a thing. I'm very thankful for uh, <laughs> for the Kimmel family. So uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to spend out there. There was 16 of us, so it was a big group. And it was an all-inclusive. We were there. We flew in. You talk about travel. So we flew in. We left Thanksgiving Day, a uh, very early morning Thanksgiving Day, but it was empty. My flight was empty. I had an emergency row to myself, which was incredible. Um, the airport was empty. It was no problem getting through security. Uh, knock on wood, there were no – well, I don't have to knock on wood anymore because it's over. <laughs> um, it's been a long week. Uh, I flew – landed, you know, fine, no delays. And then, yeah, we – I actually spent – you know, you talk about – it's funny because I would enjoy celebrating Thanksgiving this year, not on Thanksgiving, because I didn't get a true Thanksgiving meal. You know, contrary to popular belief, turkey is not a big uh, food item out in Jamaica. <laughs> so the first night we ended up eating at a at a uh, a Jamaican Asian restaurant, which they do exist. There was it was a hibachi, delicious, really good. But that was it. Was it an Asian restaurant in Jamaica, or was it a Jamaica Asian fusion no, so we, restaurant? No. So so the way it worked is there were. There was an Italian restaurant, a Jamaican restaurant, a gourmet restaurant, a surf and turf, uh, an Asian restaurant, and then a buffet that were available so for dinner. Every some night. awesome like jerk chicken Asian no, it was, thing. It was your tip. Well, they had lobster, God, they had lobster and shrimp, but uh, but yeah, no, it wasn't. It was like the the hibachi chef was Jamaican. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic because you're used to a certain type of chef when you're at a hibachi restaurant yeah. and this guy comes out and he goes, yeah, man, yeah, let's, let's cook up some food, you know? Your accent says so, always are amazing. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun though. The food was fantastic. The drinks were fantastic. If you're ever in Jamaica, um, I don't know if this is specific to this resort, but I had this thing called the Jamaican smile, which was pink with rum in it and it was delicious. Um, and he is having an aneurysm right now over that, uh, that drink. So what, it sounds like a very manly drink there. Um, well, oh, well there's another drink yeah. called the BBC, which uh-huh. is very popular amongst, uh, amongst everyone at, in, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the place. That was delicious as well. That had Bailey's in it. It was Bailey's, uh, something else. Bacardi. And Bacardi and yeah, maybe in, and cognac. and cognac, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, that would get you drunk right. for sure. Yeah. Best thing you ate while you were there? Best thing I ate while I was there. Mm. Uh, they had, I had a lobster shrimp risotto in the Italian restaurant, which I know you're going to think, Dan, you're Italian. How can you think Italian food in Jamaica is good? It was fantastic. It was very, very good. And I ate a lot of raw fish. They had a lot of raw fish out for breakfast, um, you know, like sliced thin. And that was delicious as well. Yeah, I mean, jerk chicken and jerk. I mean, cause that would be the one thing. Like, if I'm going to go yeah, down to Jamaica, yeah, 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 okay, that's okay. going to be what I'm yeah, diving so into. Yeah, so during lunch on the beach, they had chefs uh, cook up uh, basically like Jamaican jerk chicken and all that. And I did have some – there was some good uh, squid. I had some good octopus with Jamaican jerk sauce on it. So that was good. But, I mean, listen, like, Jamaican jerk chicken is good, but it's just – it, I could go to a place around the corner down here in the city and have jerk chicken that's just as good as what I had. I don't know there. you're going to be welcome back in Jamaica, my friend. Yeah, maybe yeah, <laughs> they're uh, rip my uh, rip the passport uh, visa out or whatnot. But it was uh, it was good. It was an enjoyable time. But I, I did miss the turkey and the stuffing. But I will gladly miss it every year if I get to go to Jamaica every year. So I guess that's it. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add about your Jamaican trip? Just that you know. I think that Thanksgiving should be November fifteenth for my if my family's listening. I'll tell you what, if you see us if you see us if you if you don't you're unsure, oh I wanna come up and talk to Anthony and Dan, but I don't know what to say, come up to us and just either say, 
Anthony's idea about Thanksgiving is stupid, or Anthony's idea about Thanksgiving is very smart. Let us know. Let us know. We I'm like the poll. creators of Julia. I'm creating this new idea right now that, that is, is going to catch on, and it's going to spread like wildfire. There have been a lot of crazy things that have been said on this podcast, but you comparing yourself to the three gentlemen <laughs> that were just here is probably the most far-fetched thing I've ever heard. Uh, well, on that note, I think we'll leave it. If you're coming to Waters USA, please say what up. Please come say hello to us. We'd love to chat with you here. What's your thoughts on the podcast? Uh, Anthony, you have anything else to add? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. A little late for that, but thanks so much for listening and uh, tune back in next Thursday. Thank you.